0: This is episode 18 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore events podcast. We're continuing Men's Roundup 2004. This is session two with Dr. Rodney Cooper. There's a story about a sea captain. And uh, he had a great crew. And they went out and uh, they had pirate ships that were heading their way told his first mate, go get my red shirt. Put on his red shirt and they fought like crazy against these pirates and they won. The next day they head out again to sea and as they're heading out to sea, three pirate ships are heading their way. Says to his first mate, go get my red shirt. Goes gets his red shirt and they fight like they've never fought before. They've had some casualties, but they win. That night they're celebrating an incredible victory. And the one of the crewmen says, Captain, we don't get it. Every time we're in a fight, you want this red shirt. What's all that about? Says, Well, if I get wounded in battle, I don't want you to see the blood. I want you to keep fighting. So I want it to mingle into the shirt so you don't lose heart. Wow, what a captain. Next day they go out, ten pirate ships are heading their way. Says to his first mate, get get my brown pants. (laughs) Some days are red shirt days, some days are brown pant days, guys. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's a joy to be with you. In fact, what really encouraged me when I was hearing the guys talk about church now and church next, I teach at a seminary on the East Coast in Boston called Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. In fact, one of the guys that I work with, I think you've heard of him, is Haddon Robinson. And I'll tell you what, it encouraged me to hear what you're doing. This year, we have had the largest entering class of over 300 students between the ages of 25 and 27 who are coming into Gordon-Conwell, and Gordon-Conwell believes in the inerrant Word of God preaching expositionally studying the scriptures in depth and these students are hungry and they're saying we're ready to get back to the basics so we've got some really good things coming our way in these next generations and i'm excited about what you guys are doing also want to remind you that we do have some resources on the book table we don't look at these as just selling books we look at them as resources that you can put in your hands and take home and hopefully solidify some of the message that you've heard this weekend like the Six Battles book that really does talk about what I talked about last night and some of what I'm going to get into this morning so we'd encourage you to take a look at those and if you find any that could be helpful we'd encourage you to take them and if you don't read them give them to somebody we find out that when a man gets in a book and the book gets into him life changes and so we would encourage you to do that well let's have a word of prayer Father we thank you for all that you do in our life for how this day you have providentially seen that we would be sitting here listening to your word, being with each other. So, Lord, transform our lives. Draw us to yourself. Be glorified. Our mission is to glorify you. Help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we're going to talk about one of the critical things you need to be able to fulfill the mission. And then tonight and tomorrow, Bill's going to talk about the focus you need to have for the mission in certain areas of your life. I used to be the chaplain for the Houston Oilers. That's when they were good. It's not that uh, I had anything to do with it, mind you. There was a guy by the name of Earl Campbell that played for them and also Billy White Shoes Johnson. When I was there at that particular time, I found that Earl had something that every player wanted. It was called a no-cut contract. That meant that if he got hurt, he would still get paid and wouldn't get cut from the team. Everybody wanted a no-cut contract, but Earl was the only one who had it. I got to know a lot of the guys. One guy in particular that I got to know was a guy by the name of Mike. Mike was an incredible athlete. He was six foot four, weighed 245 pounds, he was quick as lightning, he was an outside linebacker. He was tall, he was dark, he was handsome. It was like he was chiseled out of, of rock. Uh, a, a lot like myself and uh, <laughs> well that wasn't a joke, I don't know where you're going with that <laughs> well Mike one day gave me a call he says Rod can we have dinner tonight I said well sure Mike we got together and Mike said Rod I've gotten cut from the team I won't be back next year someone faster stronger and better beat me out Mike then asked me a question that took me by surprise. He said, Rod, I was wondering, even though I don't play for the Oilers anymore, can we still be friends? I said, Mike, you got to be kidding me. I'm not your friend because you play for the Oilers. I'm your friend because you're Mike. It was like he was relieved that we were still going to be buddies. It's interesting that Mike learned something. You see, he was in an environment that said, if you don't perform, you are both out relationally and professionally. I find that there are a lot of men in life who would like a no-cut contract. They would like to know that even when they're not performing at their best or they're hurt, that they're not out of the game and that they still can be a part of the team. That's not how the world operates, and too often I find the church can go that same direction. So many men, I find, continue to play hurt and stay isolated from one another because it's not okay to be hurt. After Mike had been out of football for a while, I asked him what he missed most about the game. His answer totally surprised me. What Mike missed most about the game, if we can get this to work, was the huddle. In fact, Mike said it was the huddle that he missed most. He says when he got in the huddle on the field, he said that he felt safe. He said it was a place where you could come and get encouragement, direction, support, correction, It was also a place where you could regroup for the next phase of battle, and he said he especially was glad he had the huddle when he was in hostile stadiums, going against the team and against, it seemed like, the whole stadium that they were playing in such a negative environment. He said the huddle, get this, was a sanctuary, a place you could go back to for encouragement to keep going. Men, every day your Christian walk is being assaulted as you enter a hostile stadium and environment for Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is the world shouts at you and says you better perform, you better be the best, because if you're not, you're out. In fact, I find that a lot of men are living life like the poster I saw the other day. In fact, this is what it looked like. It says the essence of survival. Here's this gorgeous lion sitting, laying down in this African plain. And notice right behind him is a gazelle. And it says, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. I find it's the same way when it comes to the way we live life as men today. The moment you get up, the feeling is you better be running. And I guarantee you, if you run alone, it's only a matter of time till you're hunted down. Jesus in John 15 said that I've not, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you, that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I think the greatest calling God has for every man is to make impact. is to live a life of significance. And yet one of the things I find is that God never called us, if you look throughout Scripture, to ever do anything really on our own. In fact, God releases the full potential of a man when he is in community with other men. If you want to fulfill this mission of glorifying God, you need other men in your life to pull that off. You cannot reach maturity, you cannot get healing, you cannot be safe unless you have a good huddle of men around you. We live in a culture that breeds isolationism a culture that promotes surround sound home theaters, convenience shopping on the internet. You can even get your groceries delivered to your house. Cocooning is becoming the phenomena of our day where we are encouraged to stay home, build walls, and the ones who are the best at playing the game of hide and seek are men. Just ask Adam. He created the game. And we've been playing it ever since. let me tell you something. Studies show that men with at least one close male friend in whom they can confide about themselves and their problems had in effect a buffer against such crisis as the loss of a spouse or a job, a chronic illness, and the psychological stress of aging. In fact, it goes on and says in terms of their morale and health these men have a significant edge over those who lack a close soul brother. Recent studies recent studies show that most men lack any close relationships to other men. Researchers are currently calling men's difficulties with friendship and intimacy a major social problem in our society. Look guys, just because you get together doesn't mean you are together. You may have sin management groups, but we're talking about transformation. In fact, I have found that men can get locked into what we call a performance trap. And here's what they get into. It's something called the man box. The man box looks like this. Compete. Succeed. Perform. Don't feel. Don't reveal any weakness. Get a grip. Tough it out. Ignore your symptoms. Win at all costs. Have all the answers. Fix all the problems. That's the man box. And what it ends up doing is putting men in a box and making them tired and separated and alone this is what our culture says is a man nowhere in scripture does it validate that premise we all need men every man needs the huddle because it's a community with other men that we are set free and remain free and can stick to the mission David had his mighty men Paul had Barnabas Jesus had the disciples We all need a safe place where we can go and get what we need in order to go into the next phase of the battle. If you and I are going to win the battles of life then we must have a huddle of men around us to cheer us on and bandage our wounds. Men who will celebrate with us in the good times and will help us in the tough times. Every man in this room needs a huddle. You will not fulfill the mission without it. I guarantee it. So what does a huddle look like? When I looked at scripture I found a great huddle. It's found in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. In fact if you'll look at that you'll find in Mark chapter 2 by the way let me keep going. It says this, Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on and when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven when I look at this passage I see all the Cree elements of an effective huddle I believe there are three of them let's take a look notice the text says some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of him the key phrase is bring to him a paralytic you see these men were committed to pursue their brother. Notice it says they went and they got him. They were looking out for his well-being. They were there for him. They knew Jesus was in town, and there was no way they were gonna let their buddy miss out on getting healed and getting wholeness. In fact, here they are at a little house. The place is packed, and they're gonna make sure that they get their friend there because they're hoping Jesus is having a healing service that day. Let me ask you a question. Who do you have in your life who's looking out for you? Who do you have in your life who will come and get you when you need to be gotten? Do you have friends who will come and get you and carry you and get you to be where you need to be? One of the saddest stories I ever heard was about uh, Jay Kessler, the president, the former president of Taylor University. Jay said that a former friend of his uh, had passed away. He was an acquaintance, and decided to go pay his respects. So he pulled into the parking lot of the funeral home, and there were very few people there. He then goes into the funeral home and walks into the parlor where his friend is laying in state. He looks around, and there's hardly anybody. After the pastor gets done, they find out they have a problem. They need to get the casket to the hearse, and they couldn't find six men, six friends, to carry the casket. They finally got the casket out into the hearse, and then they went to the graveside service. When Jay, who speaks everywhere, does everything, was sitting in his car, he began to reflect, and he started to count. And he couldn't come up with six guys who would be there to carry his casket if he were to die. He says, I am not going to be embarrassed at my own funeral. If for nothing else, I'm going to make friends to carry my casket. Gentlemen, let me tell you something. When we talk about the huddle, when we talk about pursuing your brother, we find that it's a commitment. Commitment is intentional. It says no matter what, I am there for you. It is consistent. You can rely on it. You know that when you call for help, you'll not be put on hold. It is comforting when you hurt. I hurt. When you're down, I down. When you rejoice, I rejoice. And finally, get this, at times it is confrontational. Commitment says, I will not let you go. When you're wrong, I'll tell you. If you walk away, I'll be right behind you. I will pursue you and help you get back on track. Commitment says, I accept you. I affirm you. Therefore, I can hold you accountable and have authority in your life. Every man needs men like that in his life. I know. I was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary. At that particular time in 1975, the school was being integrated. You see, at that time, they had a registrar who wouldn't let any person of color into the school, he would take the applications and throw them out. Well, they caught him doing it and they fired him. And then they decided to redress the situation. By the way, that's how Tony Evans got in. That's how I got in. What they decided to do is to start recruiting intentionally blacks to be a part of the school. I was the first wave, three of us. (laughs) When I came in, they made me part of a small group of six white brothers. We started to meet every week and spend time together in prayer, Bible study. But an incident happened that impacted my life deeply. I lived on the third floor of the men's dorm. And there were some men on that dorm floor that didn't like the fact that a black man was living on their floor. They began to make fun of black preaching. They began to give me a hard time. I discovered very quickly just because a man's saved doesn't mean he's converted. And at that particular time, as they were giving me a hard time, I became bitter, angry. And I began to pull away from those guys I was in a Bible study with. In fact, they'd call me, and I wouldn't answer their calls. They'd knock on the door. I wouldn't answer the door. In fact, they got a nickname called the bear. I mean, when I would come out of hibernation in the morning, people would scatter. I was angry. I had a chip on my shoulder. I was mad. And I'm walking down the hall and everybody's fleeing. It's not a pleasant thing to be mauled by a black bear. It's not good at all. (laughs) And so, I'll never forget everything changed one day. I'm walking down the hall and this door opens up. Hand reaches out, pulls me in, and it's those six guys who I was in their Bible study. They locked the door, which made me a little uncomfortable. (laughs) And then one of them looked at me, and with tears streaming down his face, he said, Cooper, you've changed. you become bitter, you become angry, you become negative. If you were to graduate today, you couldn't minister to a rock, let alone people. What's going on in your life? Let us in. Of course, I responded with love and joy, <laughs> peace, <laughs> patience. Man, I was so hot. I almost turned red. I mean, I was mad. I was ticked. I said, "You guys are the problem." He says, "No, no, no. You, you don't understand. We're not the problem they are." What gives you the right to talk to me? Because Rod, we're your brothers. And we love you. And we will not let you go. And we we wept. And we wept. And that day, I stayed in the ministry because of six men who came and got me. In fact, they went down the hall, knocked on the door of the guys that had been giving me a problem, and said, you have just inherited six new problems. Laughter Who will come and get you? Who will come and say and grab you by the shoulder and say, Look, come here. God never intended for us to go alone. Did you know in studies they found that men who run alone develop stress fractures sooner than men who run with a group? Bottom line is, we need to run with those who love us but we also see a second essential for the huddle I think a second key essential for the huddle is this notice they were committed to serve their brother notice what the sex said, text says it says they went to the paralytic and it says they ripped off the roof notice it didn't say they went to the paralytic and say here's a great book on healing enjoy it <laughs> notice they didn't say to him man I hope you can get there the service starts at 730 no, they went and they got him. In fact, as you know, sometimes in our lives, the reason we need someone to come and get us is because we can't do it, like Nike says. Some of us, like this man on the stretcher, are paralyzed. Some of you are paralyzed by some of your fears. Some of you are caught in addictions, like alcohol. Some of you are caught into pornography. Some of you are caught into into workaholism some of you are suffering the pain of divorce and right now some of you are so weak you're barely getting up getting through the day and getting home because you're so tired of dealing with this stuff you don't have anything left and you need a huddle who will come and pick you up and notice what these men did they took him to Jesus and when they got there the place was packed It was a one-room structure. So what they decided to do is to go up to the roof. In those days, the roofs in Palestine, they had a flat roof. And it was made of mud and thatch. And so here's Jesus teaching. And all of a sudden, chunks of tile start falling over here. And pieces of mud start falling over here. And Jesus looks up and this hole begins to form. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy being lowered down. And can you imagine? This guy's from Capernaum. People probably know who he is. As he's being lowered, I can see him. Hi, Mary, how you doing? John, how you doing over there? Yeah. As he's lowering him down, can you imagine what that would look like? They took him to Jesus. Why? So he could give free. Let me tell you the story about a little black boy I know. He's a friend of mine. He grew up with a belief from his family that if he was going to succeed... He was going to have to compensate for being black. In fact, his first thing of prejudice came to support that belief when he went on a Boy Scout troop march. The troop was to, after they finished the march, he said, get a merit badge and then they get to swim in kind of a mini water park where there would be slides and rides. So they finished the march, put on their swimming trunks, and he said they had to go through a turnstile where they paid two or three dollars and then go into the mini water park He said, when it was his time to come in, the attendant looked at him and said, Son, you can't come in here. You're the wrong color. You'll have to stay outside. He looked to the scout leader, he said, and the scout leader said, Well, why don't you put on your clothes and march back and earn another merit badge? But at that point, all the boys rose up and said, If he doesn't swim here, neither do we. And they ended up at a public beach. My friend said he never forgot that incident. In fact, he began to live as if he needed to compensate cover up something. He went to college and graduated in the top of his field, but he was uneasy and angry, he had kind of this chip on his shoulder, didn't want anybody to get too close. And then he was called into the ministry, and after he graduated from seminary, started his first ministry, he then met a guy by the name of Bill. Bill met him in a prayer meeting. Bill could see the pain in this man and how he was living life. And so every Tuesday, Bill would meet with this man, meet with him every Tuesday. And then it happened. Bill invited him to come and preach. And after he got done preaching at Bill's church, they went to his house for dinner. Bill brought him into the, into the den. And Bill sat me down, he put his hands on my shoulders, and says, Cooper, you don't have to compensate for anything. God made you the way he did. I appreciate the way he made you. We may have come over here on different boats, But we're all in the same boat now. I'm on your side. I love you. My brother, let's thank God right now for how he made you and release this burden to him. And we got on our knees and we prayed. And for the first time, I got the blessing someone who just loved me for me and said, I like all of you just for who you are. That day I got off that mat. That day I was no longer paralyzed. That day I was free to be Rod Cooper. Black, white, red, yellow, doesn't matter. We're brothers. And that was enough. And I got free that day. Free. In fact, Bill got up and gave me a hug, said I love you. And you know what happens when a man says he loves you? You kind of step back. <laughs> <laughs> so I love you too, Bill. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I found sometimes my huddle mates. I'm tighter with in my own family because they're there. Not because they have to be. Because they want to be. Who will come and get you and take you to Jesus? Who will tear off the roof and go through the process with you? Now, I want to make something real clear. No man has a right to speak into another man's life if he's not willing to go through the process with him. There are too many hit-and-run drivers out there. Smack you with the truth and then run off. If you're not willing to take the heat with me, don't get in the pot with me. You need to walk with men and go through the process with them. Remember I talked about affirmation? A man needs affirmation first and acceptance before you hold him accountable. I mean, I had a friend of mine who, I was out to dinner with my wife, Nancy, and we were with them as a couple. And, you know, I'm a counselor in my background, and I know how to say the right things. Well, tonight, that night, I was a husband. I was not saying very nice things. In fact, I was cutting Nancy off. My friend said, can I I see you, Rod? He grabbed me by the shoulder, jerked me into the restroom, and said, I don't ever want to hear you talk to your wife like that again. You got it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. (laughs) He says, now I want you to go outside, I want you to apologize to your wife in front of everybody. (laughs) No, I I can do that at home. No, you ain't doing it at home, you're doing it right here. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Nancy, John told me I had to apologize to you. (laughs) Now, if I'd have done that, I wouldn't have been living there anymore. You know that. (laughs) I apologized to Nancy in front of the group and restored her dignity. Because that's what men do who are on a mission. Glorify God. And sometimes I get so much in my flesh, I need another man to say, you're off mission. Get back on mission. Start glorifying God again there's a third thing that happened as a result of what these men did notice in verses 11 and 12 in this particular text not only did Jesus heal the man spirit uh, physically but he healed him spiritually and psychologically notice there's a key phrase in this passage it says because of their faith it was corporate faith that got this man through sometimes I have discovered that we need men not only to believe in us but to believe for us and because of that corporate faith they were able to do that in fact that commitment to believe for our brother is incredible I remember doing some counseling with a guy he'd been well he was in trouble been married for 20 years his marriage was going through a tough time kids were in rebellion. His job was possibly going to be uh, taken away from him. Other than that, he was, he was doing great. He was just doing real well. I met with him every week. And finally, one day he comes in and he says, Dr. Cooper, I don't need to come see you anymore. I said, wow, I must be good. He says, it has nothing to do with you. Oh, I must not be so good. And he says, no. He says, I'm in a huddle. And last night, these men laid their hands on me, and they prayed for me. And they said, this is okay, Jim. If you can't believe right now, we'll believe for you. And he says, if they can believe, so can I. Jim's gotten better. His marriage is a little bit better. His kids are still giving him fits. But he's on mission because he knows now what he needs to do to play the man in his home. Gentlemen, what makes you think you and I don't need men? What makes you think that you and I don't need to go to another level? Why is it that we resisted so much? Let uh, let, let Let me let you in on something. If Jesus Christ came and got the first thing a huddle of men, what makes you think we don't need to do that? In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, I'm sorry well I can't go back but in Matthew 26 when Jesus enters the most gut-wrenching time of his ministry the garden of Gethsemane did he go alone uh... like I said up on the board (laughs) (laughs) did you like that? yeah then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them sit here while I go over there and pray and he took Peter And the two sons of Zebedee along with him stay here and keep watch with me. Now you're saying, well, they didn't do a very good job. They went to sleep, but they were there. The critical thing, gentlemen, is that if God, the son, wanted men in his life, we need him in ours. I don't know if this story is true or not but I read it the other day. It's about a Vietnam vet. It's about a Marine who was caught in an ambush by the Viet Cong. Somehow he had managed to find safety in a hole but his best friend was cut down by a sniper out in the open. As the Marine kept his head down he heard the cries of his buddy calling out to him for help. John, I'm hit. I think it's bad. I can't see. After several grueling minutes he told his commanding officer he was going to go and get his buddy. It's a waste of time, his superior said. He's hit too hard. He'll die no matter what you do. I want to go anyway. He's my buddy. Go ahead, his commanding officer said, but you'll probably both end up dead. While the rest of the squad provided cover, John crawled to his buddy's side. and What he found was worse than he imagined. I'm here, John said. His friend, trying to wipe the stuff from his eyes, smiled. Collecting his final bit of strength, he said, I knew you'd come. Having uttered those words, he died. John managed to make it back to the squad. He said he was alive when I got there, but he was hit bad and died while I was by his side. Told you you were wasting your time, Superior said. No, I wasn't, John replied. Just before he died, he looked at me and said, I knew you'd come. He died knowing his buddy. His buddy was there for him. You never have to do this alone. Every man in this room fears abandonment or being alone. And God has said, you don't have to go there. It's called the body of Christ. It's called a huddle of men. Gentlemen, if you stand shoulder to shoulder with each other, and if you have a huddle, I guarantee you, you will finish the mission. Make sure you have buddies. Every man needs a buddy system. Don't leave home without it. God bless you.